0: This is the Canty and Carlin podcast.
1: 15 minutes away from dissecting the state of the NFC South. Could we see someone like Derek Carr wind up in a division that has quarterback questions for all four teams? This is Kenny and Carlin on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Randy Scott sitting in for the guys on this Thursday afternoon, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's talk to somebody who played for one of those NFC South teams, Rondé Barber, Pro Football Hall of Fame, class of 2023, after 16 seasons with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Rondé, first off, congratulations. I know this was your sixth year of eligibility, your third straight year as a finalist. Let's go back to last week. Take us through that moment when you get the knock on the door from your former teammate, Derek Brooks, and you're told you are a Hall of Famer.
2: Um, Yeah, it was a a pretty good week. (laughs) The week (laughs) prior to the honors is when we found out that Wednesday. um, And uh, uh, come to find out, my wife knew even a week before that because she had to, set me up to be home uh, for, for, <laughs> for the for the for the eventual knock um i guess she did a good job keeping it secret but yeah the when you when you're a finalist for three years and semi-finalist every year of eligibility you kind of feel like it's 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 going to happen you just don't know when you know i sat there and watched lynch wait 8 9 years before he got uh, over the finish line as a finalist so i it just you can't expect it But I remember she told me my mom was there for some reason and my daughter was home for some reason. And, you know, she's knocking on the door and she's like, you might want to go get that. And I'm like, okay. But as I was walking, we had this big bay window right outside of our front door and I saw all the cameras. So (laughs) I had a little bit of heads up before I opened it up and saw Derek sitting there in his his gold jacket, but it was a special moment um, uh, to join that group, I'm number 363 of 371. Uh, it tells you everything. Um, Thirty thousand plus players have played in the NFL, and you know to be in the point, what is it? Point zero one percent of that, or whatever that, that that number works out to be. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing. That's that's just it's just amazing. I'm still in awe of it. Yeah, um, I'm telling people. It, I've been telling people it's believable and unbelievable at the same time. It's just it, it's an unbelievable feeling
3: still. I was gonna say, please don't bring math into this, Rondé. I There's no there, there's no reason to bring in to bring in percentages. But I I, I look I, I love that Derek was involved in making your announcement, and you joined John Lynch, you join Warren Sapp. You might not be the last of that Tampa Bay group to go in, but now you're in together, and, and the the Ring of Honor there, Ray J. That's 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 one thing. But you're in Canton together. What does it mean? To you, did you and Derek get a chance to talk about the significance of that to now have this group that brought that first title there enshrined as a group together?
2: It's telling me that Monty Kiffin should be considered a Hall of Famer at this point. <laughs> you, know, you, had a, you had a top 10 defense for about 10 years, man. I and, know and a lot of people give credit uh, is one of the best defenses around our era was the, the Baltimore Ravens, but the reality is um ours was equal, if not better to them uh, man, I think we led the league in interceptions three or four years in a row uh and it and it wasn 't just the same guys you know Brian Kelly the year I led the year, the league the year I led the league in interceptions the next year he led the league in in interceptions uh and so a lot of that's forgotten, but I think having four guys in. You know, I think Simeon Rice has an argument, 122 career sacks, man. That's a big number um, um, that when you have this many guys in, I think it's a testament to what we were as as a group, as a unit, um, how well we played together, um, how well this team drafted. Rich McKay and Tony Dungey put that team together. They picked the right guys to play in the right system and could go out and play fast. And, you know, we're all great, but the, the reality is we were all really, really Great together, um, I, and, I, and I preface that by saying, you know, I think you guys would agree with this. You could put Derrick Brooks and Warren Sapp on any team in the NFL, any of the thirty-one other teams, they're probably in the Hall of Fame. Uh, me and me and Lynch, you know, we got we got drafted to the right places and made the most of our opportunity.
1: Rondé Barber, Pro Football Hall of Famer played with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for 16 seasons, five-time Pro Bowler, the NFL record for most consecutive starts by a defensive back. That is a record he still holds, 215. He joins Courtney Cronin and Randy Scott here on Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio. So let's go back 20-some years now to that Super Bowl that you played in against the the Oakland Raiders at the time, and I want to take it to the current day coming off the heels of the Super Bowl that we just saw against the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. What are your biggest takeaways from that game?
2: Great, great defenses don't win championships anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, uh, we, 20 years ago, we beat the Oakland Raiders and Rich Gannon, who was the MVP, heck of a player, you know, a lot of respect for him, but we picked them off five times. Uh, we scored more points on defense than they did uh, on offense to Oakland, Raiders, and the and the Bucks' offense did, for that matter, um, uh, in that Super Bowl win. Uh, in today's NFL, it is about the guy under center forcing his will on, on the game. And I think in early in that game, you saw Jalen Hurts do it for the Philadelphia Eagles. And late in that game, you saw Patrick Mahomes do it uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I went into there not believing that Andy Reid uh, Pat mahomes combination is 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 beatable i I've just seen it too many times where they find ways to 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 engineer drives. They score on every single possession in the second half. I think that's telling against what was you know the second best defense but really to me, one of the best defenses we've seen a long long time in the eagles um uh it, it was it was a great football game. I know that but I just give a lot of credit to the quarterbacks in this game. They're the they're, they're they're the future of this league, right? Those guys, those two guys specifically, are what the future of quarterbacks in this league are going to look like. And we got to see it in a great, great Super Bowl. We're
3: talking with Rondé Barber, a Pro Football Hall of Famer, class of 2023. And we just had this, this, this discussion, Courtney and I, on the show. You mentioned Andy Reid. You mentioned mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes. And there's a missing name here in terms of getting credit for the Chiefs' offensive success. And, and to us, it's it's Eric Bieniemy who's still five years in, uh, can't get yeah. a, a head coaching job in, in the NFL. And I'm, I'm wondering, because I look at this lateral move here as he's rumored to be headed to Washington to be the offensive coordinator there. Sure. You know why he feels like, or why he's put in a position to have to make that move. So you can take this anywhere you want, Rondé. But why isn't Eric Bieniemy a head coach already in the National Football League?
2: You know, I wish I would have had the opportunity to be around him. I mean, obviously, I respect him as a player. Back, I mean, I was watching Eric Bienemy when I was growing up. For sure, uh, I knew what kind of player he was. I had no idea what kind of coach he is, but I know he's had wild success. And the only thing that I can think of that uh, either he doesn't interview very well. Or when people get down the nuts and bolts of it, they feel like it's Andy Reid really doing all the work, uh, and I don't, I don't know if that's fair. I mm-hmm. don't. I, here's here's the thing, guys. I and mean, you maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I don't hear many of his players come out talking about how great he is. They they give him cursory like compliments or whatnot, but I don't ever hear anybody say that you know this this team could work. You know, uh, works because of him. You know, it's always because of Andy Reid and Eric D'Enemy is just this officer coordinator who's kind of tagging along. So I'm actually glad he's going to take a lateral move um, to get out of the shadow of that. And if he has success again, which I presume he will, I mean, he's been in that system for so long. It's no way he doesn't know it um, uh, uh, top to bottom um go have success in Washington and if he turns whoever the quarterback is, uh who's a guy from North Carolina that's supposed to be starting yeah. this year for the Commanders, Sam Howell, yeah. Um yeah, Sam Howell. If he could turn Sam Howell into, you know, this modern era type of quarterback like he has in Patrick Mahomes, then there then there's no doubt. You know, then he's top of the top of the heap unquestioned. And then if he doesn't get a job, then there's something wrong. although That being said, there is something wrong with the system. We already know that. Um, But for him, specifically for him, I I think he should leave. I think he should go try to stake it out on his own and and prove that he can be Eric B. Enemy without Andy Reid.
1: He interviewed for the Washington Commanders offensive coordinator position today. We'll hopefully be hearing some news as to whether that is final, and he will be headed to the Washington Commanders in the near future as their next offensive coordinator. Canyon and Carlin on ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Pleased to be talking with Rondi Barber, Pro Football Hall of Fame member, number 363 out of 371 in Canton. And there's another player, whose name comes up often when we talk about you, Rondé, because he shares the same last name. The only player in NFL (laughs) history with 10,000-plus rushing yards, 5,000-plus receiving yards, and 1,000-plus return yards. That's your brother Tiki, played for a long time with the New York Giants. The stage is yours. Make the case for Tiki being the next barber to get into the Hall of Fame.
2: Well, very similar to me. You just said those stats. That's, That's top of the heap. You know, he's one of one. You know, some of the things that I did that were finally recognized by the voters is I was one of one. You know, there's other peers of mine. Charles Woodson comes to mind very for- specifically because he played the position uh, kind of like I did. He started outside a corner, moved inside when they went into their, you know, their sub packages. And he made a lot of plays. He had 20 plus sacks. He had 20 sacks. He got his 20 seconds last year. He had 60 interceptions or whatever, made a bunch of tackles. So we're we're peers, we're comparables, but I even outdid him Twenty 25. I'm one-on-one Tiki's one-on-one in that regard. You know, uh, I don't know if people care to remember, but, Tiki's career started off pretty pedestrian. Um, You know, he was just kind of a returner and a third down back. And then I guess it was year four, the year they went to the Super Bowl, uh, when when Jim Fossil took over play calling from, you guys remember, Sean Payton. Uh, And Tiki carried them to the Super Bowl, and they lost, obviously, to Baltimore. But from then on... He was a, a fifteen hundred yard back and you know um you know thousand yard um, nearly a thousand yard receiver every single year for the next five years um, I can only think of two people and they got similar numbers uh ladanian and and um, and, uh, um uh, St. louis um my black Marshall Falk. Name all of a sudden Marshall Faulk are the only two guys that are in that category they're obviously first ballot hall of famers tiki can't even get out of the semifinalist realm so um, if you're just looking at numbers the numbers are there if you look at his impact the impact was absolutely there i mean they won a super bowl in 2007 the year he left and people try to you know say they won because tiki left well the reality is that staff in new york giants is not coaching in 2007 if tiki barber doesn't carry them to the playoffs that year. I mean, single-handedly did he, he at 234 yards, in the last game of his career at Washington regular season game, and then proceeded to have a great game in the playoffs, even though he lost to Philly that year. So I, I, I don't know what people are looking at. I mean, you can say, it's not, if it's not about football and you want to discount him because of, uh, you know, the vitriol that New York sports world put on him after he finished playing, fine. But if you're talking about him as a football player, I, show yeah. me one that's better and did it like he did it. I, I, I have a hard time finding somebody.
3: And, and, and you can't judge running backs of that era by the standard that we hold running backs to now or the value that we place on the position because you could argue that running back stock has never been lower right now. You don't want to spend first round draft picks, second round draft picks. But when he played and when he literally carried offenses – that mattered, and so uh, this year's voters are voting under this year's you know value on the position. It it seems um, it seems like a, a, you know a, a lack of of you know congruity to to the voting process. I want to put that aside for a second. I want to ask you a simple question: as somebody who played the position, you see, you mentioned the Super yeah. Bowl, you watched the Super Bowl. Was that a hold?
2: Yeah, it was a hold. I hate to see it called, but it was a hold. Okay, uh, letter of the law, it was definitely a hold. And there's plenty of imperial empirical evidence to to prove it including yeah. the, the, the James Bradbury himself. Right? James <laughs> Bradbury said he held him so but to get away with it. We actually on a call with uh, Dean Blandino the other day uh and uh, uh we were talking I was like, How often does that happen, man? He's like, way more than you think and I can <laughs> tell me and I can I can promise you and when I was playing, I would uh, I would hold a guy, you know, and there would be no flag, and the ref behind me would come right up to me and say, hey, I saw that, I saw that, be careful. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ah, thanks. You know, thanks, man, appreciate it. You know, it's like, it, it's one of those things. It's like offensive uh, tackles. They can hold every single play. If you wanted to throw the flag, you really could throw the flag. Mm-hmm. Um, that It was a hold? Yes. Did it happen in the wrong situation? Absolutely yes. Uh, I hate that that game was decided by that, but that's exactly what happened.
1: Rondae, someone else who is going to be joining you in Canton in the not-too-distant future is Tom Brady. And we know with the retirement of Brady, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers organization, which you know well, is headed in a different mm-hmm. direction. They have Kyle Trask under contract at quarterback, and that's it. When you take a look at this group in totality and realize how open the NFC South is, but also where the Bucks are headed— Where do you think of their direction? Like, where are they going in the short term? And how can they get back to being a team that makes a deep playoff run?
2: Well, we're going to find out how good Jason Light is at at finding uh, talent in the draft. Because that's really the only way you're going to add to this team. I mean, I don't know that they're in worse cap shape than uh, anybody in the league. Maybe the Saints, um, you know for different reasons the Saints obviously leveraged themselves with their quarterback and then didn't have anybody for a long time the Bucs leveraged themselves to win a Super Bowl with Tom Brady and all the talent that they brought in Um, and it was worth it right it was completely worth it this team was kind of listless for a number of years and in three years succession they made Three playoff appearances, in the Super Bowl, and really, in Tom's second year in Tampa had a chance to do it again. They gave up a big play at the end of that Los Angeles Rams game to playoff, or they would have been making another run. So, with that, you know, you put yourself in a situation where you're going to have to rebuild, and they're clearly in that at that state where well, the quarterback is number one because. Um, is Kyle Trask a guy? I mean, you got to find out he didn't get a lot of reps, man. He didn't get a lot of practice reps. He only played in one game, which was his very last game of the year at Atlanta. And he didn't really have a chance to show anything. So you really don't know what you have in him. but you have second round draft capital in him. Uh, is it his time? Yeah. I mean, if this team is truly in a rebuilding phase and they have to be, I think because of their cap situation, you got to give him a chance. He couldn't be in a better position now. He's got Two great wide receivers. We've got a young tight end, a Caden Otten, who really nobody knows about, who's a good player. Uh, they have a great young running back, Rashad White. I think Winter Fournette might be back this year as well. Uh, they got a pretty decent offensive line that's young and will get better. Um, so you, you got to find out. I, I don't think they have the capital to go chase it again, go throw the money on the line, pick up a big-name veteran quarterback, and go do it. Um, but this is a big year for them. It's a big year for Todd Bowles. His defense needs to find ways to improve because, you know, he's a, he's kind of a maniacal genius on defense. But at the same time, they, they haven't been performing to the to, to level that they're expected of. So it's, it's a lot of questions in Tampa, but I think there's still some some expectation that this team could do all right. And as you guys know, they're fortunate not to play in MC South, which is a disaster show right now. <laughs>
1: It most certainly is. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, $55 million over the cap right now. They've got a lot of work to do ahead of free agency to get that number back into the black so they can start to make some moves towards rebuilding this roster. Tom Brady retiring, lot on the line for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFC South as they try to move forward into this next era post Tom Brady. We are pleased to be joined by Rondé Barber, Pro Football Hall of Famer, class of 2023. Rondé, I know it was a long time coming, a long wait for you, but one of the greatest players in the history of the National Football League and honor so richly deserved. We appreciate the time here on Canning and Carlin.
2: Thank you. I love the way you kept saying that, too. There we go. We will continue (laughs) to say it and continue
1: to speak the truth here. Ronnie Barber, one of the greatest players in the history of the National Football League, undoubtedly one of the greatest players in the history of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers franchise. And speaking of the Bucs franchise, we're going to talk about the NFC South in totality because – Quarterbacks uh, down in that division, pretty bleak. Every team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Carolina Panthers, the New Orleans Saints, and the Atlanta Falcons. A lot of questions to be answered this offseason about who's going to be starting under center for those four teams during the 2023 season. We're going to get into that next, but first, Randy has this from Vivid Seats.
3: That is right, Courtney. The basketball and hockey seasons are heating up. Baseball is just around the corner. And nothing beats seeing your favorite team live. Not only does Vivid Seats have great ticket prices, they're also the official ticketing partner of ESPN. And with Vivid Seats rewards, when you buy 10 tickets, you get the 11th free. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. Vivid Seats. Life happens live. Receive a reward credit equal to the average price of the 10 tickets purchased, excluding taxes, fees, and processing costs. See vividseats.com slash rewards for terms and conditions.
0: Go to shopify.com/network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com/network.
4: This is the Canty and Carlin podcast. How would you sum up your time in Brooklyn?
1: Can't do our guy Nick Friedel like uh. that? He's out in the valley reporting on <laughs> Kevin Durant's introductory press conference with the Phoenix Suns. Oh man, and I mean, there's nobody who could handle that better than Friedel. Where the chorus of booze during this event, where there's over a thousand fans in attendance to welcome in Kevin Durant to the valley. They're the ones out there booing because our guy's doing his job, asking about Kevin Durant's time with the Brooklyn Nets. This is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Randy Scott, pleased to now welcome in our guy, Nick Friedell, ESPN NBA reporter, who was out in Phoenix for the Kevin Durant press conference. I mean, if there was anybody to get booed and handled it like in the most picture-perfect way, including the follow-up question about the time in Brooklyn, Nick, it's you. So let's let's let. Let's download this press conference. What were the most important moments that you understood from Kevin Durant in talking about not only his time and why it didn't go well in Brooklyn, but what he's looking forward to out in the Valley?
4: Uh, well, Cordy, that was definitely one for the bingo card. <laughs> <laughs> because I, yeah, I've experienced a lot of things covering the NBA for about 15 years now, but I've never gotten booed during a press conference. So that was interesting. But uh, as far as the takeaways... They're pretty clear to me. One, Kevin thinks his team is ready-made to win a title. He thinks the pieces are in place, especially with Devin Booker and Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. And there's a reason why he kept pushing to come out here. That was very clear. Two, I, I thought what he said was telling in what when, – when he was talking about Kyrie and how once Kyrie put that trade request in – the Nets lost their identity. And guys, when we look back and try to connect the dots with exactly what's happened here in the last week, the second Kyrie put that trade request in, that was the end of these Nets because they were trying to find pieces that were going to fit and, and try to get Kevin to stay. But the reality was you trade Kyrie away, nobody wants Ben Simmons' contract. There was only so much for them to do. So at that point, it was only a matter of time looking back The thing that really caught me though is Kevin got emotional talking about Brooklyn and I've been around him a while. I know everybody remembers that press conference in Oklahoma city where he was talking about his mom being the real MVP, but that is the first time in a while that I can remember him getting that emotional about something on that kind of stage. So I thought that was intriguing as well, but he's looking forward to the future here as he should. And, the fact that he was smiling and getting to know the people around this organization leads me to believe that he's in a good place now, and truly believes that not only can they win this year, but potentially in the next few years ahead.
3: In Wanda, uh, his mom was there. Uh, was there today? Part of the crowd, part of the—I well, I don't know. Some estimates, Nick, it was like a, what a thousand people in addition to the you know cheerleaders and the mascot mm-hmm. and in um, all of it. It just it set the—I guess the—the the scene for us. We carried it live, so yeah, we heard. We heard your question. We heard the follow-up. We heard your laugh. Exactly. We heard exactly what we we're talking about. And when we. Were, so
1: before Great we laugh on radio. Yeah,
3: before we get to <laughs> before we get to all that. Before we get to all that, just what was the vi like, you know, you've covered introductory press conferences at various spots, you know, Chicago and Golden State and on down the line. How did how did this one compare to others that you've been around?
4: I've never been in one like this. Because this felt more much more like a college press conference or excuse me, a college pep rally than it did a press conference. The only thing I would tell you, Randy, is that as my friends, of course, are giving me a hard time for getting booed out here, they're saying, you know what this reminds me of? The LeBron press conference in Miami, not one, not two, not three, not four, because there were all the fans all over the place. And everybody was so excited that LeBron and Wade and Bosch, had had signed up with the Heat. The thing that just took this to a whole other level, though, is you've got the gorilla out there chucking T-shirts into the stands (laughs) with the cheerleaders, and I'm thinking, what is going on? So I know everybody out here is hyped up, as they should be, because we all know how great Kevin Durant is, but (laughs) this one was really different, and I know in being around Kevin enough that when he walked out, he's kind of like, what? Huh? But, you know, they give them a few standing ovations and, and they were ecstatic. I mean, you got to be a pretty big fan to sit at a press conference in the middle of the day to listen to a few questions for 15 minutes and then roll out. So I know the Suns are pumped, but uh, yeah, that one was a little strange.
1: Nick Fridale, ESPN NBA reporter, live from the Kevin Durant press conference in the Valley, joining us here on Candy and and ESPN Radio. Courtney Cronin and Randy Scott with you on this Thursday afternoon. So we saw him at the game the other night, first time that most of us had laid eyes on Kevin Durant since he got injured against Miami while playing with the Brooklyn Nets earlier this season. When will we actually see him in a Phoenix Suns uniform in his recovery now just over a month with the MCL injury?
4: Courtney, it's definitely going to happen soon after the break. But I thought coming out here and being around the last few days that it was a, pretty much a slam dunk, that it was that Oklahoma City game next Friday. You'd see him out there with his new teammates. Like the more you listen to him today and you talk to people around the organization, and I don't know if I would – I would bet on that one right now. The context here is they want to be extremely cautious as they should be. He's just coming into the organization. He's learning the new offense. Uh, And Bonnie Williams said something interesting as far as the timeline goes, Kevin Sullivan cleared for three on three or five on five stuff. Everybody's going on the all-star break, including Kevin to Salt Lake city the next few days. They're not supposed to have another practice till a week from now. So, do you want to push it where you might do some scrimmaging right after the break and, and he get one or two under his belt and that would be it? I mean, we'll see. But uh, I would expect him to be back on the floor at some point in the next couple weeks. It's just that nobody has a clear certainty on when that day will be right now.
3: We were talking about a, a, a rare sort of insight or at least – leaving the door open to potential criticism of Kyrie Irving by Kevin today because one of his answers sort of looking at the micro (laughs) at the micro aspect of one of his answers to one of your questions Nick was you know he said hey it was great basketball and then he goes for 17 games and kind of gets a laugh and then someone from the crowd shouts out 16 games that kind of like corrects him And yeah, that was me. Oh, okay, (laughs) okay. But he goes, he goes and we can get into why it was only 17 games. That's or that's a story for a different time or somebody like and that's as he's been fiercely defensive and protective of his relationship with Kyrie Irving. I don't need to tell you that. So for him to leave the door open, there seemed to me to suggest. I mean, I I took that little morsel, that little breadcrumb and I ran with it because I look at who he's going to run with now in Phoenix. And it seems like for the first time in his career outside of Golden State, he's playing with adults. He's playing with grownups. He's playing with guys who have invested as much in terms of work off the court and on the court to be on the court as much as possible as he has. And talking about a guy in Kevin Durant who's recovered from major injuries several times now and knows what it takes... And I look at CP3 specifically, like he's playing with a true adult in that room. And I'm just wondering, being around him as much as you have been, what that factor, how much that factored in to his decision to come out West?
4: Mr. Scott, as I've told you many times, we see the world in a very similar fashion. (laughs) Because when Kevin's up there saying what he's saying, and then he was talking a little more about Kyrie and, and how everything had changed, I had the same read on it that you did. In that, and I talked to Chris Paul about this the other night, and he couldn't be more excited about the fact that, and he mentioned Devin Booker as well in this, Kevin loves basketball. I would say Stephen Clay, to the point about the Warriors and Draymond, they love basketball. The focus is basketball. The, Kyrie loves the game of basketball, but as we all know, for a variety of reasons. That's not always the focus. That's not always what is going on in, in his brain as he's preparing for games or, or what he's saying at a press conference. And I think for Kevin Durant at this stage of his career at 34 years old, he's ecstatic to be in a situation where the focus is on the game. I can't tell you how many times in the last year you'd hear him say, I, you know, I just want to hoop. I just want to play. I want to get out there. I don't want to worry about all this other stuff. Well, when you play with Kyrie, that, that, that's just not going to happen. And I'd also, guys, throw in the context of this. I talked to James Harden last week. We all saw his quotes. And while he didn't ever name Kyrie, that's what it all came back to. That's why he pushed to get out of there, because he was just tired of all of it. He, he didn't want to be in a situation where there was always something else going on off the floor. So... uh you know, Harden didn't like the fact that he was being called a quitter. I think that he kind of gave up completely on that team in the moment to get out of there. But the reality is when you're listening to Kevin's comments today and you're listening to Harden's comments a week ago and you start piecing things together, all signs point to both of those guys, especially Harden, were just kind of done with the drama off the floor. And while Kevin didn't want to throw Kyrie under the bus because he has – stood up for him so many times my read completely is that he's going to get here in phoenix start playing games and enjoy the fact that these guys are focused on trying to win a title and be as good as they can be and there won't be those distractions off the floor
1: Nick, I got to say, I loved the fo- holding on to the mic for the follow-up after getting booed. I know that there might have been some pressure to pass the mic off after that, that question, but a lot of really good insight came from those questions and the answers that we got from Kevin Durant about his time with the Brooklyn Nets and how it ended, because frankly, this is the first time we've heard him address all of the fallout since he was traded last week to the Phoenix Suns. Looking forward to actually seeing him in a Suns uniform, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. We appreciate the time. Enjoy All-Star Weekend. Hopefully you'll get a little bit of a break here. And if not, uh, we will. I'm sure that you'll be on the Kevin Durant train over the next couple <laughs> weeks covering <laughs> his debut out in Phoenix.
4: Courtney, I appreciate you saying that and just know that I'm headed straight to the beach in San Diego tomorrow and I will be knocking down some pina coladas. Let's go. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where it goes after that, but uh, in the short term, I need to go find some sunshine and get away from the madness for a little bit.
1: Well, we will all be there with you in spirit. Nick, we appreciate the time. That's Nick Ferdell, ESPN NBA reporter, joining Courtney Cronin and Randy Scott here on Canty and Carlin. Coming up next, there's a whole ton of perceived disrespect at the Kansas City Chiefs. Is it real? We dive into that next ESPN Radio.
3: But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct
0: at LQ.com. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.
1: You know what I say to fake motivation? You do you. If you need to come up with these storylines that people doubt you in order for you to achieve a goal, then that's what you need to do to achieve a goal. And that's what Travis Kelsey did after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last Sunday. Told everybody... That was listening, and the world was listening, that the Chiefs were doubted and nobody expected them to be back at the stage where they were winning. Super Bowl 57. This is Candy and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Randy Scott. Believers in truth here, and I just listened to that that bite that keeps circulating about how every single person picked against the Kansas City Chiefs and no one expected us to be here. And Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's my Travis Kelsey impersonation. And I'm just like, okay. So when are you going to join WWE? When are you going to take this bit that you've got going on right here, this fake motivation that you're trying to inject into everybody and make a career out of this as a wrestler and creating your own bit now that you've got people like, seemingly believing that the, <laughs> no, the Kansas City Chiefs aren't good and need this sort of motivation?
3: I, I, you're right. I applaud the ability to have all the talent in the world and to somehow because really the biggest threat to a successful organization is complacency right is is not you know uh, working as hard in the off season not working as hard during the season and buying your own your own press your own hype all that stuff so you're right like there is a skill set involved in perceived slights and then turning that into the hard work that you have to have but i mean I, the the way Kelsey and Mahomes were acting it was like no one thought they'd you know win five games and the soundbite from Kelsey where he you're right he really has gone full like professional wrestler hype video that's that's his thing with an open mic he can't be stopped
1: well he's in his mid 30s so that's probably not too far in the distant future for somebody who has put together a hall of fame career and will end up doing something else when he retires from football but the talk of dynasty that's what's come up in the coming in the days following the Super Bowl win for the Kansas City Chiefs. They have two Super Bowls in five seasons. So, what does Travis Kelsey think about all this dynasty talk? Here's the Chiefs tight end at the Chiefs championship parade.
4: The haters were saying that the Chiefs would never make the playoffs. Everybody's asking, "This is a dynasty. It's been a dynasty. Y'all just ain't noticed till now. Believe that. Shit. Feel that." Shit. And it's Chiefs Kingdom forever, baby. We love y'all.
1: I don't think that anybody was saying that they weren't going to make the playoffs except Bart Scott. Like, frankly, I don't think that yeah. there's literally yeah. anybody else in the world of media that said that. But it's honestly, the dynasty conversation is an interesting one because it's how do you define a dynasty? Is it winning back-to-backs? Is it winning a certain number of titles within a window? There's a lot there. But... I'll agree with him that they're on the cusp of something here, but I actually would not call them a dynasty yet, Randy.
3: I, I agree. I think it is back-to-back. I don't think two in four years does it. I, I think, you know, you it, it's not just going to Super Bowls, as they've been to now, what, three? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, you got to win back-to-backs. But I just, I freely admit, I thought the Chiefs would regress to the pack, so I was wrong in that respect, but I didn't think they weren't going to be a playoff team, and I think you're really looking for straw men here, if that's how, how you choose to celebrate your Super Bowl title.
1: Yeah, their preseason Super Bowl odds, they had like the fifth shortest odds, so I don't know what Travis Kelsey's talking about. What about KD? How did he react to Kyrie Irving's trade request? we get into that next ESPN Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin Podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on the ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.